0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up?
1: So today is two days after Halloween, and Halloween's one of my favorite holidays because we get to decorate the house with a bunch of Halloween stuff, and then I get to take the kids out trick-or-treating. And the kids combined all their candy, and I told them, hey, you guys should make a chart. See how many of each kind of candy you have. Instead of a chart, because there's too many candies. I think there's 30, 40 different, maybe even 50 different types of candies that they got. They wrote a list of the different candies they got and how many of each one.
0: I was I, know. I okay. was thinking about
2: this candy thing.
1: <laughs> Today we'd love to welcome you Jeremy Lee on the show.
2: I'm I'm Jeremy. My name is Jeremy. I work at Code Academy with Julie. I am a senior product designer. At Code Academy I primarily support our learner-facing side of the product. So a lot of the things that are paying, well, it's like the act of learning, right? So we call it the learner experience. So we think a lot about pedagogy, think a lot about how to make learning more efficient for our learners. But I also have some experience in the health tech industry. I did a little bit of work in the marketing industry as well. But I think ed tech is where my heart is. And I'm glad for it. Julie there. And now I'm
1: here. Where were you before?
2: Right before Code Academy, I was at a startup called Dispatch Health. They were bringing urgent care to your home, basically. We call it Uber for urgent care. And funny enough, many ex-Uber people worked in that company. So it was like bringing in logistics to healthcare, basically. And I worked on the tools that clinicians use to know where to go next and take notes and things like that.
0: Nice. Yeah. What is the difference between a product designer and a UI, UX designer? I know the two are different, but I'm slashing them for the purpose.
2: I kind of saw the title evolve throughout my career. When I started, it was UX Designer, and then eventually it started moving into product. I think the difference is it might differ depending on who you ask. But to me, the difference is the UI and UX Designer focuses almost exclusively on the user's experience. They have to have expertise on like how users flow through an experience and how design systems work so that it can be efficiently built and things like that. But I think product designers concern themselves with that on top of really understanding the mechanics of the product development environment. In other words, it's like, I think nowadays I'm thinking a lot about, okay, what can we build that's going to have the most impact to the business and the user, right? It's versus like the UX designer, I might just be thinking about the user. And then I'm also thinking about How is this going to work with the roadmaps of other teams? Is this performing a cohesive vision? So I think the product designer role, which is where I see the industry leaning towards now, just expanded the role of the UI UX designer to include greater considerations from a product perspective.
0: You think that evolved because at a lot of companies designers are either doing product management work themselves basically or they're kind of like the in-between you're like the developer and the product manager is here in between there's the designer and the product manager does not get anything to the developer unless it goes to the designer so it almost like it became like a natural role
2: yeah at least again take it with a grain of salt right and one guy from my experience i think the role had gaps and slowly evolved over time as different organizations slowly one at a time started seeing it and then i think when i started seeing the title change around me when i was still technically a ux designer i was seeing the same gaps and i was already like starting to do more than this ui ux and so yeah just i'm curious from an engineering perspective if like things like that have happened where you like used to do just like this specific role and now like over time it slowly evolves into something more i don't know if there's an analog or i think it's like
0: the same thing I build forms on websites, that's me, that's my guy. And then slowly it's, well, now I'm architecting more of the database and now I'm like the person that the product managers want to talk to because I know about this specific workflow. Okay, now like developers are looking to me for like answers and like kind of just slowly but surely trickles up.
2: Yeah, and I think to add on to that, Academy, we now have embedded, we call them product instructional designers who are curriculum experts, right? That's like maybe an example of a role that maybe me as a product designer was sort of filling, like I had to kind of know a little bit more. I still do now, but maybe in a different organization that has a specific vertical, they might not have a subject matter expert and that designer sort of has to fill that gap, right? And so I think, yeah, we just see the gaps and the roles kind of stretch out to fill them.
1: What does it take to become a UX UI designer slash now product designer? Do you have to do the one first and then the next? Or can you go straight into product designer?
2: Ooh, I'm sure there's many ways to get into it. I came into design from actually a graphic design background. Like way back in high school, I was doing like newspaper layouts and whatnot. And then I went to school for like graphic design work. But I found that the graphic design world maybe Isn't quite for me because I feel like a lot of the work is measured very subjectively. I would be in these classes and be like, oh, yeah, this logo works because X, Y, and Z, right? But like you hear the story about how Apple's logo was created and it's just like wanted something random and simple. Like to me, the, the measure of success has to be a lot more objective. And so knowing design and liking design, where did that take me? I ended up in web design doing e commerce work actually. And then, yeah just fell in love with the objectivity and the melding of that like quantitatively measurable thing that we output and also like just creating something that looks good for people how do you get there i think the discipline can be broken down to understanding enough computer science to know what's feasible and know how to interact with engineers such as yourself you have to have the visual design fundamentals, I think. So I don't know if you need a design degree, but you need to kind of understand how people look at something and how information is processed in people's brains. And then I think in a product design world, contrary to UX roles, you now also have to be thinking in a business lens with your. So it's like, what's what works well? What looks good out of a design perspective? Is it feasible to build? So I need to know enough CS, right? And then from a business perspective, does this even make sense to work on or think about? Is it going to have an impact? I think those are the big things.
0: So when I was doing computer science in school, and the listeners know this, but I have a design background. I took a graphic design course, and then I did a graphic design internship, and that eventually led to me getting like a Rails job later. But I did some graphic design work because I wanted to get better at web design, and mm. I really liked it, but I feel like it's almost a curse for me. As a developer, because I know design, I see it. And like the things that are wrong stick out to me like a sore thumb, and I can't escape it. <laughs> it haunts me.
2: Is that a bad thing?
0: It is for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because I think if you have an organization where you're kind of empowered as a dev to like give feedback, design feedback, I think that's good, right? Because then you make a better work product. I'm curious what you think of that. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. It's more like everyone else's website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I I totally agree that. I think it's kind of wild to me that in 2023, you could be a full stack developer and be like, oh yeah, me, design, don't even think about it, don't even care. Because I feel like in order to be a great developer, you have to like think about your users and think about user experience and think about design. So I love chopping it up with our designer, like like product calls, like I will be like, I don't think
2: that should be a radio button and here's why. And then we will go back and forth on it. Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you think having that, design background like how does that make it different from other engineers that do your kind of work makes me one of the developers who like works on their personal
0: site for like months and years to no end just because like i have the design sense i think it gives me a little more perspective I can look at a design and be like, it's easier for me to see like the user experience, like workflow or how like the users will flow through the system. And then also think about what the designer is thinking about when they may make a certain design. Oh, yeah, I understand why you think this looks better. But here's the then being able to technically explain to them why it's not possible. Yeah. Or at least not possible (laughs) to me.
1: I think you spoiled me by kind of being that person like Andrew does it for himself. Whereas Jeremy, you like explain to me why this and why that. I mean, I really appreciate that, but I can't see it for myself. I feel like Andrew might spend a lot of time because he knows design on his side projects. But I feel like I spend a lot of time because I don't know design and I'm like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't look right, but I don't know where to put it. And I'll do a hundred different variations of where it would go before. I'm like, oh, yeah, now it looks good. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com.
2: I do think that, Andrew, I want to hear what your opinion on this too. I do think that there's like a set of principles that you can read about over the course of 30 minutes that will get you like 80% of what you need if you like really absorb it and think about that. So I often reference mentor a lot of like students coming out of design like roles or like people who are transitioning out of whatever role they're in and moving into design. And I always link them to the Nielsen Norman group article about the 10 usability heuristics. you know, that hundred. Yeah. And like, I think much like if I was trying to be an engineer, a developer, like learning everything there is possibly to know about it is probably going to take me super long, but there's probably principles, right? Not repeating my code or I don't know what other things there are, but doing things in a scalable way, whatever it is that if I kind of have an understanding of that, it's just a matter of flexing that muscle. And then slowly over time, not only will you as an engineer be able to use that in your own projects, but also like like Andrew, when you see other work products, you're like, oh, this is why that is. And maybe even give feedback, right?
0: Yeah, I think you can throw some 80-20 principle at it. I think what you said earlier about it being very subjective about graphic design specifically being very subjective. I think that's why I have such a big issue with it because it's so subjective. And my brain is like, no, there's gotta be a form. Like the other day I asked my designer, I was like, I know there's a formula for gradients. Someone has to know a gradient formula to get like these gradients, the certain way, like with the hues and the saturation. I was like, tell me the formula. And he's like, dude, people just eyeball it. I can't do that. Like that part of it being subjective is really hard for my brain to wrap around. So I'm the type of person that's like, I'm not worried about like the component design and like where things lay out on the page. There's so many patterns out there that you can follow for that. I'm like, how do I like if I just tweak like the saturation of this, like one color, like a little bit, and then I alter the font (laughs) weight. That's what I'm doing.
2: Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think there's also designing for web or digital interfaces also has a lot more rules compared to print. Yeah. Or, or like an interface versus a web ad even, because like things have to be accessible. So a lot of the decisions are almost made for you, right? Should I use bold, whatever, right? But if you look at like accessibility guidelines, it's, oh, okay, it has to be like this many levels more bold to discern itself from normal text. So I think that makes it easy. And also one that doesn't over-index too much on the visuals, believe it or not, even though I'm a designer, like I'm like build a system so that we're efficient, and make sure that system works well from a pattern and usability perspective and just use that and make things simple and make them work. And then if you want to make something super special, then you do. But I think most projects should start with that. Just use whatever's default and make it work. <laughs> That's my hot take. Do you think accessibility is becoming even
0: bigger thing that you're focusing on as a designer Like as the years are going?
2: Yes, the answer is yes. And this the industry is trending that way from the peers that I talked to. And funny enough, we at Academy are working on a lot of accessibility tickets right now. Although part of that is tied to Academy being acquired by Skillsoft and being a public company. So some of the requirements are a little more stringent. Yeah, but I mean, it's I think it still takes people and organizations who evangelize it, right? And like our experts and can actually make use of it. What about you? Have you been seeing that?
0: Yeah, what made me think about that was like, The other day i was having a conversation with someone i was like and they were like i want to put like a button inside of like a select so like the end of the options like you can hit a button and it makes a new one and i was like well let's look at like the html like spec for select like you can't have buttons inside of options and i've taken those types of things to our designer as well and be like well tech like the html like specifically prohibits us from being able to do this and i'm wondering is it those types of decisions are Mm -hmm. on one level and I feel like they're a lot easier to kind of have those conversations with a designer. So I feel like it's kind of important for developers to know a little bit, but do you think it's important for designers who also have some understanding of like HTML specs and like kind of how you're saying?
2: Yeah, 100%. And there's two ways I'm thinking about this. One is to me accessibility as a designer and knowing semantic HTML is part of the job. But the other side of this is balancing the act of making something that is compliant across all the standards that exist on web and pushing the boundaries. And I think that's like a fine line that maybe more people think they're pushing the boundaries more often than they need to, from my opinion. But there are cases where, you know, like the default UI, UX, and HTML patterns may not suffice or can be improved upon. But I just feel like those circumstances exist and should be tackled when you have a lot more resources available to you, which is I feel like for most products that I've worked on, it's Let's just get it right first. And we're not there yet. So don't reinvent the wheel just yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm curious, Julie, too, from your experience, like both of you guys, um, what's been the... And I know you're doing backend mo- work mostly. This may not be as applicable, but I'm curious like how you've seen that in the past and like how you think about balancing, pushing the boundaries versus this. Just redo it and make it simple.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like I take the route of, oh, this is not accessible, fix it. Versus mm. me like thinking of, what y'all have
0: been talking about. I'm a habitual boundary stepper. As I've become a little bit older, well, not that I'm old, but like, as I've gotten a few years into this industry, I'm like, no, let's not do that because Substack does it and it looks cool. Or because the new thing on the block is doing it and it looks cool. There's like a fine balance between this is the way things work and they work great like this versus it has to do this thing just because I saw it here. So I've done a lot of pushing into those boundaries, especially in the Rails kind of ecosystem. But at work, I try to be the guy that's, well, do we have to do like that? Like, what is the simpler solution here? Like, if our goal is to ship software, we really need this
2: thing. So you've never been in an environment where it's like you're more favored to spend more time on it. And like, I think of companies like Airbnb, right? Or like you go on the website and there's like a lot of fun little things that like, from my perspective and the teams that I've worked with, I don't know how the heck I could have prioritized some of these things. But I do think there's value in it. So like communicating that sort of like delight factor to engineering and to a product or buys into it, I think is, I don't know if I've been in that. I think it's a
0: culture thing. Yeah. Like you have to have a culture that's kind of interested in doing that. And I've not been in a ton of cultures that are like that. I've worked at one where it was like, oh, let's have a little cool Easter egg here. And those are, I think, fun for engineers. But kind of talking to engineers, though, I'm curious, what is the hardest thing about communicating with engineers? Maybe something you've run into the past doesn't have to be like this problem right now. But
2: the first thing that comes to mind is maybe when engineers aren't as aware of the design and product process in their said organization. So... I've had times in the past where a PM and I or some senior leader would be like thinking up of an idea and then I'm like, just like dreaming it up. Oh, it could look like this, but you know, no feedback yet, whatever. Like we're just, we're going wide, right? we probably talked about like diverging and converging in the podcast at some point. But that's just the idea of like, instead of committing to something that we're going to build, let's go wide first, explore options, and then slowly refine towards what the, the final product is going to be. But i've had instances in the past where i would show something in that exploratory divergent phase (laughs) no joke one engineer at one point he said what is this i hate it it's so ugly (laughs) it's like to me it's funny right to me feedback is not personal unless it is i guess but yeah um, it just makes it harder to work with right if they're like being flat out serious because it's like well i get that but then it's now it's kind of weird the team environment's a little weirder and people think about that and the whole dynamic just changes when that stuff happens Julie,
0: yeah, have you ever looked at UI and been like, that's so ugly?
1: I can't say that I have because I feel like my stuff is always worse. So I
2: <laughs> I'm sure if yeah. I wrote some Rails, you would throw up if you look at it. So it's okay. <laughs> it's an interesting I mean,
1: Jeremy yeah. has never made anything that was like throw up a bull or whatever.
0: But would you even say that if you thought that? Even saying that is kind of crazy to me.
1: It is pretty crazy. Like, that's why I was like, I feel like what that person said is so many affected parts, not just like for you, but now people are going to wonder, well, what is this person going to say about me? And now there's no trust with this person.
2: Let me make that a little less extravagant. So I think a more applicable scenario is when an engineer is looking at a piece of work in that exploratory phase and the immediate gut reaction is to talk about how it's not technically feasible. Mm -hmm. That tends to just like derail or stop that phase, right? Like it kills the environment. And it's not like every organization has a defined process that everybody follows to a T. And so what that really means is individuals can have a lot of impact on how a project goes. And so if, if we're like, hey, this is exploratory, and then immediately two engineers are like, oh, that's not possible because X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, first of all, the product manager probably already knows some of the technical limitations, but like the act of doing that. So, I mean, I think part of that is on the design and product person to communicate. But I think practically speaking, as an engineer, it's like understanding when to go wide and help brainstorm and then once we're at the stage of like refining that and making it actually viable, then like that stuff is that's the time for that stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: So what would you want the engineer to say if they felt that way instead of what they said?
2: I think it's good to bring up technical limitations. So I think a lot of much like maybe a lot of work nowadays is not nowadays, but in general, it's just like soft skills, just how to communicate it. Right. Oh, this looks really cool and it's interesting. But just so you guys know, this might be what da, 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 da. but we can keep exploring. You know what I mean? It's just a little more open ended
0: what is information that is helpful for you to be conveyed like, so if i'm having a conversation i want to explain to you like why i can't do something what type of information is helpful and maybe even some that's unhelpful
2: i think that's going to depend on who you're working with some designers are more technical and come from a more technical background others aren't so and just want to be told yes or no on things My perspective is that I think I'd like to understand at a general level what the technical limitations are, because sometimes I find that if I have a good understanding of the technical limitations, there are solutions that lie in between that isn't maybe the exact thing that was originally proposed, but also kind of maybe circumvents the limitation. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. 100%.
1: The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all. Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at HoneyBadger.io. That's www.HoneyBadger.io.
0: Julie, when you're talking to a designer and you see something, do you tend to explain like the technical details, even if it's maybe not pertinent for their information?
1: I feel like I'm one of those engineers that if Jeremy puts out something and there are technical limitations, I feel like I'm... The person that will be like, challenge accepted, I'm going to make it work or whatever. So I feel like I'm less of that type to do that. So I'm not sure that I actually raise that many technical limitations.
2: Yeah. And I think with us, it's pretty organic and it's pretty collaborative. It's, oh, I can't do this. Okay. Sometimes it's very simple and I just kind of get intuitively, oh yeah, that makes sense. But other times, oh, could we do this? And then slowly through the process of exploration, looking at our options, we kind of build a shared understanding of what's wrong. Like Julie, like we've gone back and forth on Slack messages. We're like, Oh, can we do this? No. Can we do that? No. Here's why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I think that's like one of those things where you have kind of a best practice and just be like a kind person, but it's going to depend on who you're working with and your relationship with them.
1: I think yeah. a lot of what our discussions are is my lack of front end technical knowledge. And so I might be like, Jeremy, how much do you want this? <laughs> And then we kind of like compromise. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I tend to explain technical details unless they're like, I don't care. I always tend to explain it just so it's hey, I want you to know I respect you. I don't want you to think I'm talking down to you. So this is what's going on. But yeah, it's interesting, like the different ways that because I have worked with a guy who's like, dude, I don't care. Can you do it or not? And I'm like, (laughs) all right, that's how I will communicate with you. Sometimes I get a design and I'm like, start stressing because I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I like spend like several days like trying to figure this out. And my designer is like, dude, let me know. And we'll talk about it. And yeah. how do you kind of feel about that? If someone is struggling with something you've designed, do you want
2: them to come to you quickly? This is also coming down to product philosophy. As I said earlier, like I care about just like, let's experiment and drive an impact. And if it proves to be something that's worth something, then we'll make it beautiful. So yeah, generally I would say just come to me. Also, I think there's a balance there, right? Because I think maybe some more junior engineers would give up on things too easily, especially as you build experience as a designer, you've seen things get built in a way that's like, that works. So like sometimes, oh, this doesn't work, then it's like, does it? I've had a couple of those in my career, you know? But I think the magic ingredient is the engineer knows enough about a user experience, like how a design is meant to function, how it's meant to like, because then at that point, if the engineer is thinking about the design world and the designer is thinking about feasibility and all that while they're designing, The ownership is shared. It's not like design owns design, engineering owns implementation. It's like we own everything. So it's a matter of like, how can we make the best work product together, give and take based on what we're looking for?
0: What is one piece of advice you would give to designers for communicating better with developers?
2: I think it's maybe twofold. One, if you are uncomfortable having those conversations because maybe like you lack sort of the CS background, build that competence up. I once heard a quote that, The greatest solution to fear is competence. And I think that will take care of problems thereafter. Because if you feel comfortable enough talking to engineers without knowing specific technicalities, but knowing big picture how technology works, then you're able to collaborate more effectively. And then when you talk to them, don't be married to your designs. As a designer, there's many ways to solve problems. Some are better than others, but be open to iteration and simplifying things down. It's interesting you say that because something I've said, many
0: times and believe wholeheartedly is like you should never be married to your code because like things change. You can do things better. People can do things better than you. It's not about the code. It's about the problem. So it's interesting that you kind of view that the same way is like we shouldn't be married to it either.
2: Yeah. actually, I have a question that I prepped for you regarding that topic for both of you guys. I think I've seen engineers who when met with iteration have a little bit of a negative take to it they're like oh like we should have built it this way to begin with and whatnot but sometimes iteration is a part of it and you think you have the solution and things change yeah i'm curious what you guys think of oh it should have been defined first so that it was gonna scale to begin with versus now we have to like redo things like how does that sound from an engineering perspective like the process of iterating and
1: i feel like i am very indecisive myself and i feel like there's never a one final solution that I come up with. So I'm totally like very open to iterations and especially if it's a direction that will either be better for our users or maybe in the long run, it's actually less work. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm super open to that. And I think maybe because of the way I think originally, like I felt like our team was super supportive about it. And I don't even remember what it was for, but I feel like... It ultimately was the the right choice. I feel at a technical standpoint, it was very sloppy, I want to say. Like we were doing some hacks to, to try to get something to work and we ultimately just kind of scrapped it and it ended up being much better. And I feel like I feel mm-hmm. a lot better about the code because of that.
0: I'm two ways about it. I do not like redoing code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a personal thing. It's like you give me code and then a month later i have to rewrite it i'm gonna be pissed off but there's the key distinction on whether or not the scope changes and like things just evolve like the technical things evolve like the design evolves like that's natural iteration to me what i will get tilted about not to your face but behind your back (laughs) is and maybe it might not be the designers like fault right but somewhere if i say originally This is going to be a problem. And I'm telling people up front, this is going to be a problem. And you say, build it anyway. And then it becomes a problem. I'm going to feel a certain type of way about that. And have you had experiences like that before? Yes. Multiple times throughout my career over and over again.
2: Yeah. Then that's like a process issue, right? It's like the person making the call is yeah.
0: Yeah, well, someone makes the call, but I view iteration as very natural. But if I'm telling you, if you don't hear my warning, and then I have to redo it later, then I'm going to be upset because it's going to feel like a waste of my time versus things evolve. Like I just had a project recently where it's like, we're just not going to be able to do it like this because of like these things and like the way you want this to work and like going through the whole process and then hopefully if you have a good designer, they're like, ah, I see. Now let's iterate. Let's all iterate with you or I'll iterate alone. Like I like it when the designer, like our designer right now is awesome. He'll iterate with us. Like he'll jump into, we'll jump into Figma. He'll like, okay, what about this? And just start thinking out loud. So that's the type of collaboration I would enjoy.
2: I have another question for you guys. What are characteristics of really good product or design and relationships? And what are characteristics of bad? What are experiences that you've had that were like not great? And what made them like that?
1: Well, I can't exactly answer the bad part. I mean, I guess the bad part would be no relationship and the like, you, Jeremy, technically are kind of my first designer relationship. Mm -hmm. I say this because before you, we had a period of time where we didn't have a designer. And then before that, I was kind of switching between teams And so there was a designer, but I didn't really work closely with him. And then on that previous team, I didn't really work with a designer. So I feel like this is kind of my first real. Yeah. So I can't really Uh, answer that.
0: Julie, do you think it's important to have a designer on your team?
1: Well, when we didn't have Jeremy... I just felt like we did not have a direction to go to. And I feel like we were kind of borrowing from somebody else. And I didn't have a good relationship with that person. And then not that the relationship wasn't good. It was just like, I didn't know them. And then Jeremy comes along and he like throws all this stuff out. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I just remember being like, Jeremy is like a 10X designer. The stuff that you output is amazing. And I love like having prototypes so that I could play around with it. That's really awesome. And yeah, it was just such a huge difference from before you came in and you joined us.
2: Thanks, Julie. The CodeCannery engineering team is just amazing. Everybody's been told Julie, she is both inspiring and intimidating. And that's like a great environment to be around.
0: Yeah. I think some of the worst Stuff I've done is without a designer. Like, I I view having a designer on your team almost as a non optional thing in 2023. Like, when I was starting in 2018, it was like, it felt like the boom of UI, UI. And I was like, maybe I will be a UI designer. That was before I fell into Rails. But I think it's like really important to have a designer. But some of the bad is if they're completely technically illiterate, like, you don't have to know Rails or anything. But like, if you're going on Dribbble, and copying designs off Dribble and then pasting them into Figma, that's how I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good because you're designing in theory and we need a system. The designer also brings something that I've seen where I may tell you, the product manager, like, hey, I don't think it should be built like this. Like the design is a little weird. Like, why don't we like do this? Why don't we standardize this or that? And they don't really care because you're just some stupid coder. Just go code. But when... Designer says it, suddenly it's like, oh, well, yeah, obviously. So I think a designer brings a lot of harmony um, and can bring a lot of peace to a developer's life by like, being in charge of the designs and being like, no, we are going to standardize things. And that just brings, that's great for us because then we can standardize. You don't have to know Rails, but if you are the type of person who, like our designer right now, like he's got a little bit of CS background, like he'll jump into our Rails app and like work on stuff himself. If nice. like, he's like, this button's wrong, fix it. I'll fix it. So if you're the type of person that's interested in doing that, or even if you're the type of person that just like wants to know, I will totally bring you along for that journey. Can I watch you fix that? Like, sure. I really like talking collaboratively, like having that back and forth. And like I talked about earlier, having that like mutual level of respect, making sure they're a part of your team. And it's not like, oh, yeah, we'll just screw design, like whatever. They're making our lives harder. Like, I think it's got to be one-to-one, like a lot more, like same team, us working together to get this done. And I think when it's not like that, it can be like when design is almost like fighting against development, Mm -hmm. like we want these components like this. And we're like, well, we're not gonna build time into our budget for you to do that. So every time you give us a Figma design, it's like completely looks completely different. And I have to do all this work. And it's just, those are awful.
2: 100%.
0: Is there anything else you wanna talk about before we kind of wrap this thing up?
2: Why did you choose Rails over interaction design at the end of the day? More money. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, I went to
0: school for computer science, and I've been writing code for a long time. And I have a quantitative brain. If you tell me to write some code, I can write some code because there's a clear objective. Design for me is not clear. Like we talked about earlier, it's much more subjective. So it just kind (laughs) of, it just rolls around in my brain like all the time, like without an end in sight. So I can't be a designer.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. I think the last thing I'll say, given who your listeners are, is... I hope from this conversation, y'all take away that design isn't just owned by design. And as an engineer, like you're more than welcome to give feedback from a design perspective. Like, there's been a couple of times where Julie would just Slack me like, hey, Jeremy, this kind of feels weird. Um, what do you think? And it's like, always framed as a question, which is awesome because it's like, I call myself out now. I see what you did. <laughs> but the point is, she's not just thinking about the implementation. She's thinking about what is it actually going to look like? Again, it's a shared ownership you like bring it up with the designer and ideally the designer understands the feedback and iterates and then you guys build something better together. So know enough design to give feedback and do that. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. This was a
0: lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. I'm sure we could, I could keep going.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it could be like a regular thing.
0: Yeah, as a developer, design is not something you don't have to think about. And I think the better mutual respect between you and a designer, the better the collaboration, the better everyone's life is, I feel like. Mm -hmm. so thanks for coming on the show really appreciate it listeners we will catch you back next week same time same place bye bye
1: everyone